can still remember uh, when Ross phoned me, uh, it's a lot of years ago now, when Ross phoned me and said that our car was on fire. And, uh, and, and I, I must admit, I, this is tr uh, true confessions, I thought, she's probably exaggerating. <laughs> she's probably dramatising the situation. I thought, maybe she means there's some smoke coming out of the car. You know, that happens from time to time. It'll be fine. Uh, you know, maybe she means it's just overheated or something. Um, but she wasn't. Our car was actually on fire. Uh, the car blew up, like on the movies, you know, kaboom. And uh, it was just left as this black molten mess on the side. Well, this is a true story. Uh, uh, Michael was just a kid, and, uh, and Ross had taken him to uh, a birthday party, a little boy's birthday party. And uh, she pulled up, you know, took him inside, dropped him off, said goodbye that got back in the car, started to reverse the car out of the, the person's driveway, noticed a bunch of smoke coming out of the car, pulled the car over to the side of the road, got out to have a look, and saw flames coming from under the, uh, the bottom of the bonnet uh, and the engine of the car, and uh, stood back, and uh, you know some people came out of the house, and the flames just got bigger and bigger, and you know all of a sudden they were coming out of the bonnet, and, uh, and then you know once the, the petrol really got going, the car just actually blew up. I have to say, um, for those boys at the birth, it was the best boys' birthday party ever. Right? If you're a boys' birthday party, there is nothing as good as like the fire brigade came and guys in like because you know there's all toxic fumes. You're in full hazmat suits and whatever. And and, uh, and uh, this is true. The poor mum at the party had all of these activities planned, and they didn't want to do anything except press their faces against the front window of the house and watch this car in flames and the fire brigade. The best boys. Birthday party ever. So that that is, you know, everyone in their life and their family has those amazing stories. You know, those like I've got a, you know, when stories come out, that's one of the stories of our family. Like the day that our car blew up, burst into flames, and blew up. So th there are there are some things that amaze everyone, right? There are some stories that you can tell, and everyone's amazed. There's other things that happen to us that. Um, you know, that might just amaze you, you know, like if you're into basketball, you could see a basketball shot and you could go, wow, I, that is amazing. But someone who doesn't kind of play basketball or doesn't get it, you know, isn't quite amazed in the same way. So, and then there are some people who are more naturally amazed by sports, other people who are more naturally amazed by arts or by uh, a business or by nature or, you know. Um, and I got, and this is just because the way my mind thinks, um, we're talking about amazing stories. I started thinking, I wonder what got Jesus amazed. Right? Because this is what I do. I sit around and I think about this stuff. Um, and, and so I started looking up, because there's lots of amazing things in the Bible, right? Um, and particularly in the life of Jesus. There's lots of times um, that Jesus amazes people. In fact, um, just looking up through the NIV translation, the, the word amazed appears more than 50 times in the Bible. Um, Jesus uh, amazes people all the time. Uh, Mark tells us, Mark 10, 24, the disciples were amazed at Jesus' words. Um, Matthew 7, 28, the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Um, Jesus heals people um, and, and people get amazed. Uh, Jesus casts out demons and there's sort of spiritual stuff happening in people and people get amazed. Um, uh, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. You know, we should write a song. Um, uh, you know, Jesus had, seemed to have no trouble amazing people around him with things. Um, but did you know, because I said I looked this stuff up, only twice 
in the Bible does it say that Jesus himself is amazed. There's only twice when something happens and Jesus gets amazed. I'm going to read both stories to you. Um, the first one happens when Jesus has been on a bit of a road trip, uh, going sort of from town to town, uh, teaching and, and, and I guess kind of doing miracles and doing the things that Jesus does. And he ends up passing through his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, this is Mark 6, uh, verses 2 to 6. Uh, Jesus arrives in his hometown, starts speaking, and the crowd, the people who have come out to listen to him, uh, they say, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom uh, that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. His, in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And verse 6 says, And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Mm -hmm. Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown, and the news about his ministry has got there before him. You know, they've heard the stories about what Jesus is doing in other towns. And so when he and his followers arrive, they're, they're kind of keen to see what, you know, what this Jesus guy is all about. But they quickly conclude that this is the same Jesus that left Nazareth. Like, we know this guy. He's the carpenter. There's, there's his house over there. That, that, that's where his sisters are. You know, what's all this wisdom that he's teaching? What are these miracles? You know, these real like miracles. You know, what, what is this stuff? We know this guy. And it says they took offence at him. We're not listening to this guy. We're not, we're not listening to what he's got to say. We know who this guy is. We're not following him. We're not falling for that old one. And it says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Second story uh, is a story that Matthew tells us. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 5. Uh, Jesus is uh, uh, sort of doing his thing. Um, when he's approached by a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion, it tells us. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, so another town on one of his uh, sort of road trips, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have him come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, uh, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed and he said to those who were following, other people who were watching what's going on, he said, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus and the Jewish nation are living under Roman occupation. In 63 BC, Roman general Pompey and the Roman army march into Jerusalem uh, and, and take it over. It wasn't much of a fight. Um, and so for 60 years, uh, uh, Jerusalem and uh, the surrounding countryside, the surrounding towns 
have been under Roman law and they've been policed by Roman soldiers. I was thinking uh, probably the closest sort of modern day example we've got is, is if you were living in France during World War II, you know, when the Germans marched through France and for a number of years, the French people were still sort of living in France and kind of living their way, but uh, the German Nazi party was sort of over the top of them. Um, and so they, they sort of had this normal life, but at the same time, there was this, there was this presence in their country. Uh, there was this presence over the top of them. And the Romans had a pretty low view of the Jewish people um, because the way things worked in that time is when you, uh, when you came into a, a war with someone, when you came with a, to a fight with someone, you would come into that war and you would pray that your God would give you victory. right? And the opposition, they would be praying that their God would give them victory. And so when you won, not only did you win a military victory, not only did your, did your kind of nation win a victory, but your God also won a victory. Does that make sense? Like when you conquered the people, it was a way of saying, well, our God is clearly better than your God because we both prayed to our gods and look who won. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they had a really low view of the Jewish people and a really low view of their God. I mean, obviously this Jewish God wasn't, you know, it wasn't worth much because look how easy it was for us to overrun this nation. The Bible tells us that this man was a centurion. That means he was a commander of a Roman legion, uh, which history tells us is around about 80 soldiers. Okay, so this guy had a pretty significant command. He had 80 soldiers, 80 men under him. And here he comes to Jesus asking him for help. Now, I don't think we can really understand how crazy that is. That a Roman centurion, you know, I mean, and he's never travelling alone. He's got Roman guards with him. He's going to come to one of the occupied people. Remember, our God's better than your God. And he's going to come to Jesus and say, can you help me? Can your God help me? And Jesus says, when he comes up, Jesus said, should I come and heal your servant? I mean, you don't need to think about, you know, what kind of a view that the, the Jews and Jesus' nation, what kind of a view they had of the Romans. You know, think kind of what sort of a view did the French have of the Nazis. You know, not a particularly good view. And yet Jesus says, do you want me to come and heal him? And the centurion replies, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. And my servant will be healed. I mean, do you think about it? The centurion could have just commanded Jesus to come. Like he's standing here with a big sword and a bunch of soldiers, right? He could have just said, come or else. But he says, please, would you come? In fact, in fact, don't, don't, don't bother coming. Like I get the way power and authority works. If you'll just say the word from here, that will be good enough. And the story tells us that Jesus says that Jesus was amazed and says, I haven't, in all of Israel, in all of my travels, I haven't seen faith as great as this man has. <laughs> Only twice is Jesus amazed, and both times he's amazed by the amount of faith that someone has. He's amazed by how little faith the people in Nazareth have, and he's amazed by how much faith this centurion has. I mean, think about that. 
Jesus is, is never amazed by the stuff people have bought at the local market. He's never, wow, look at that new jumper. That's just, just, just amazing. Right? He's, he's never amazed by the houses people live in, uh, or the turban they wear, or the donkey they drive. He's never even amazed by someone. He's never amazed by anyone's church attendance. He's never even amazed by how good someone is, or how kind someone is. He's never amazed by how much money someone gives to a cause. The only thing, when they sat down to write the life of Jesus, the only time that something happens and they said, you know what, I remember that Jesus was amazed that day, was at people's level of faith. And understand, the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the, this, this faith, this ability to believe that God can do the miraculous. Right? When he's talking about faith, he's talking about faith that people could get healed. Faith that God could change people's lives and their futures. He's talking about the kind of faith that believes that God can make a way when there is no way. Jesus is amazed by the lack of faith that the people in Nazareth have believed in that kind of God. And he's amazed at the extraordinary faith that this centurion, a centurion, right? The enemy. He's amazed by the faith that a centurion has that that kind of God exists. And of course, that got me thinking about my own level of faith. I mean, I started asking myself, you know, where's my level of faith? You know, this is kind of a scale from some, you know, the Nazareth faith down here to the centurion faith down here. You know, kind of where am I? Because the truth is, in our day and age, um, that kind of faith, that sort of centurion kind of faith doesn't come easy. Because we live in a really rational world, you know, where we're taught to believe what we can see and what we can touch. We're taught to believe what we can test. Uh, you know, what the scientists tell us, this is true because we can test it and it's true. We're taught to, we're taught to believe what we can explain, you know, what we can make a logical case for. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not, you know, that, that kind of rational, logical thought's a good thing. But it does tend to sort of squeeze faith that the ability to have that kind of faith, it can squeeze that kind of faith out of our lives, can't it? Yeah. You know, it's like for, for many of us, sort of, the more rational and logical we get, the, the more we try to make sense of life, it's easy to see sort of our faith shrink by that same amount. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the more logical we get about things, the, 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 less, the, the less we bring faith into that situation, into that, into that relationship, into that part of our life. And for some of us, this is the very reason not to believe in Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. You know, for, for many people, it's like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to believe, I'm going to set my life on the things that I can see and touch and test and prove. And all of that faith stuff, all of that Jesus stuff, that's just some old fairy tale. You know, for people in a time when they didn't really understand the way that the world worked. For other people, this kind of faith in Jesus is, you know, we want to believe in Jesus... And dare I say, you know, some of us in, in, in churches, like, we want to believe in Jesus, but we want a sort of intellectual, rational kind of Jesus that we can understand and make sense of. Mm -hmm. You know, a faith's a nice idea, but we don't want to get too carried away with all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, true confession, um, 
That's the kind of faith that I grew up in. That's the kind of church life. I grew up in a church, but it, it, was, it was that kind of experience of God and that kind of experience of Jesus. Faith is okay um, as long as I'm still in charge. You know, I, I, want, I want to believe in Jesus and I want to follow Jesus, but I, I, I still want to kind of be the guy behind the wheel. You know, I still want to make sure that I can make safe, rational, you know, sensible decisions about life. Church I grew up in was all a bit sceptical about words like miracles and, and, and that sort of thing. We, so, we, I mean, I know this is just my experience. I'm not putting this on anyone's my experience. You know, so we grew up in a church where we didn't pray for God to heal someone. We prayed that God would be with someone in their sickness. You see, like, it's kind of the same. It's kind of similar, but it's just different enough, you know? We, we didn't pray that God would make a way... You know, we didn't pray that God would provide a solution. We pray that God would help me. And the bit we left off the end was that God would help me while I found a solution. You know, that's what we're really praying. Uh, you know, like I, I'm gonna that, that God would guide me because I'm gonna find a way through this. And and to be honest, that's a safe kind of faith. Like that kind of faith works to a degree because if someone doesn't get healed. Well, it's okay, you see, because I didn't actually pray for them to get healed. You see how that works? You know, it's kind of safe for me because I sort of can't lose. You know, it's, um, it's an easy way, uh, in a sense, to do life with God. It's a nice, safe, easy way. But when Jesus saw that kind of faith, when Jesus saw people who were sceptical about, about his ability to do what he said he could do, who were, who were sceptical that... That, that Jesus was actually the kind of the kind of man that they'd heard about. It said that Jesus was amazed, and he was amazed like for all the wrong reasons. But there's another kind of faith. This what I'm going to call centurion faith. And I, I re read through that story a number of times, and it strikes me. I noticed a couple of things that are really different about the centurion from uh, from the, uh, the, the the people in Nazareth. See, the centurion begins with a kind of humility, acknowledging that Jesus has got something that he hasn't. And we can't, we can't understand in this day and age how crazy it is for that centurion, you know, the Roman occupier. I mean, just think, when he comes to Jesus, he's got other Roman soldiers around him. His, the, the people who are under him, who are looking up to him, the people that call him boss, and he comes to Jesus and says, I know that you've got a level of power and authority that I don't have. And not only has he got the other Roman soldiers around him, there's other Jewish people around him. You know, other people that he's got control over and he's going to stand in front of them and say, there's something about your God that I want in my life. He comes to God with a kind of humility. And then he does the thing that... I was taught kind of not to do when I was a kid. He came and he asked. He asked boldly, can you heal my servant? And he asked out loud in front of everyone. Man, that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Because once you do that, you're kind of out there with it. You know, he didn't just sit in his room and think, I wonder if that Jewish God could help me. You know, my gods. The implication in this story is that the Roman gods weren't doing it. 
It doesn't say that, but that's, that's the implication, isn't it? That I've already prayed to my gods. I've already done whatever I would do through the Roman gods and nothing's happened. So maybe I could try the Jewish God. But he didn't just sort of do that quietly in his room. He didn't. I mean, the, the story tells us there were, there were others around, you know, because Jesus talks to others. So he hasn't somehow found a way to sneak Jesus away in a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, send him a private text. He's come out in public and in front of other people, he's asked. Man, that takes a lot of courage. And then, of course, most importantly, he has the faith to believe. And there's that great line in the middle where he says, just say the word. Isn't that good? Just say the word. Like, he's got that level of belief to say, I know you can do this. If you will just say the word, I believe that it will happen. And the writer tells us, that they noticed on that day that Jesus was amazed. He was amazed. He said, you know what? I, I mean, he's been traveling all over. I've seen some faith, but I've never seen faith like this. Never seen. And remember, he's, he, he's a Jewish person living in a Jewish culture. He's saying, you know, even amongst all the people who are kind of, who are inside the church, you're inside, I've never seen faith like this guy's got. So I've been asking myself, where am I on that faith scale? You know, from sort of one, from Nazarite faith down this end to, you know, attend the centurion faith. Where am I in that? Because I know what's safer. I've been there in my life. I know what's easier. But there's this part of me, right? <laughs> and I don't bet you there's this little part of me that reads that story and just thinks, imagine if that kind of story could happen today. You know, imagine if I could have that kind of faith in my life. And imagine if my life embraced that kind of belief in Jesus. Imagine if my life started to believe in God the way that that centurion was willing to believe in the God that Jesus talked about. Imagine if I chose to believe that God could still do miracles. Real, amazing, you know, my servant got healed kind of miracles. Imagine if I lived a life, if I walked and talked and lived in a way that, that believed that about God. I mean, imagine if churches, I mean, imagine if this church, imagine if, if churches became known not for their great worship music, you know, or not for their not for their terrific talks, or not for their great you know youth program or children program. Imagine if people talked about churches because of their faith. How good would that be? Now, of course, there's a kind of catch here um, because we know that miracles don't always happen, even when we come to God with what we feel like is is great faith. God's not a vending machine. You know, it's not like, well, I come with faith and, you know, I put in a ticket and I get a miracle out. That's not the way it works. But you notice that in Mark's story, when he talks uh, about the people in Nazareth, he says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles in Nazareth except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I don't get how this works, but there's some connection between our faith and God's ability to do things. 
Right? And we don't understand how that works because you know sometimes God seems to do things and sometimes he doesn't. Um, and like I said, God's not a vending machine. But there is some connection. There is some connection between the faith that we bring into situations and God's ability, Jesus' ability to do things in that situation. There's some connection between our faith and God's ability to work in our lives and in our world. And so part of me says, imagine if we were a church that lived out that bold centurion kind of faith. Imagine what we could see happen inside the church, but also through us in the community. Because this whole Jesus centurion thing, it didn't happen in a church service. This happened out there in the street somewhere. You know, while people were shopping or working or doing whatever they do. Imagine if we were a church that lived out that centurion kind of faith. Imagine what could happen in our lives. Imagine what could happen in the life of the church, you know, as a, as a collective group. But imagine what could happen in the world through people who lived out this kind of faith. I mean, just imagine if Jesus could look at us as a community and be amazed. Mm -hmm.